Hello everyone, you are listening to See Through Panel. My name is Fahed Rahman uh, and this is well, season four of See Through Panel. Today, my guest is David Banks. He lives in Omaha, Nebraska, and for the last 20 years, he has been performing production and restoration tasks for comic book related projects. When he retired, he gave himself a not-for-profit fan assignment called the Micronauts three-year restoration project and it's now two years into that project and he estimates he's got another year to go. There have been over 2,000 pages of covers and interior art pages that will be restored and he's also going to be working on a uh, how-to restoring old comics book um, assembled from details, notes and examples that he's gathered along the way and he also plans on producing a series of simple video sharing restoration techniques, which you hope will be um, useful to people who want to restore their own comic book collections or work on their own restoration projects. How are you doing, David? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. We're going to be discussing the reason why I chose this book, because it's a restoration project type thing. It's a collection of old strips that's been put together for the first time. And the uh, the book that we'll be discussing is The Spider Crime Unlimited. This never reprinted before collection brings together the pulp adventure stories of the spider from picture library series written by Jerry Siegel and Don Avnell. The spider is the uncrowned king of New York's underworld, uh, so elusive to the police that even he manages to taunt the police commissioner at his retirement party. But Professor Aldo Cummings, a famous but ill-tempered scientist, determined to stop the schemes of the spider once and for all, invents a ray machine that will eliminate evil from a person's personality. But a tragic miscalculation will turn Professor Cummings into the professor of power, and he seeks more direct confrontation with the spider. The reason why I chose this, so I get access to quite a lot of advanced review copies, and when I read about your call out on Twitter to talk about your own restoration project, I felt that this would be quite a good choice to discuss with you because it's obviously bringing together a collection of older comic book strips. So I just wanted to get your first impressions on how, what you felt, how they did with restoring the the, the original artwork here. And Well, I was uh, very impressed and it was a real eye opener for me because I wasn't aware of the format of British comics where they have a, a two-tier system where that's top and bottle top and bottom panels, but that's it. I like the two stories as far as the work they did on them. I was more impressed by the second story. Uh, the, the art was more complex. Obviously, they had to take more time to work on it, but the story art and the story words themselves were much more impressive than the first story. So I, I'm a Superman fan myself, but uh, the second story was better. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and I love the fact that I'm 68 years old and I can still discover new things I've never seen before uh, and enjoy them. So I really appreciate you sending that on to me. It's not a story that I had ever heard of. And I think it's it's really nice that we're getting into this period now where curating popular cultural things is, I think, growing in like like the public's uh, imagination. So having collections like this, and I've, I listened to one of your previous podcast interview where you talked briefly about a collection of like Jack Kirby stuff and old Stan Lee stuff, having those original stories being collected and being available to, to future generations is, is, is also really important. 
Oh, I agree with you. And, and in fact, uh, this is why I'm kind of doing this self-assignment because um, I don't have any illusions that I can do it all myself. But if I can help uh, provide a guide and an example of how it could be done, you know, we could have an army of people who are doing it as passion projects as opposed to waiting for a publisher to figure out if they can make money on this. I mean, I think the whole of comic book history needs to be preserved. And in this digital world, you know, once we can get it into digital, it'll be a lot Lot easier to do it. So it's, there's some backbreaking labor to get it from the paper to the uh, computer. But then once it's there, you know, we as a group can work our magic. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So uh, getting back to the like this this collection, um, this, this the spider. So it's very very pulpy. It's been a while since I've read anything this this sort of like pulpy, and it's quite refreshing because. I think especially with a lot of uh, modern comics, there's not modern storytelling, but in terms of, oh, we can't do this because we have to keep like continue. Like with this, there was no formal rules. The the characters were really over the top. I, I would say in terms of like character progression, there is, I think Aldo coming, Cummings becoming the professor of power. He is the only character that really has like a character arc. The spider and um, the other characters within the story don't really develop that much. They are almost in the same situation they were at the beginning of the story as they are at the end, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. It does because they're they're basically done in one stories. But when you get to the end, you know, the status quo has been uh, maintained with the main character, even though other characters may have had a story arc, as you said. So let's talk about the character of the spider. I think what I found really unusual about this is that this, the spider himself, he's this supervillain character. He's got a, a, a gang of henchmen. What are their names? Um, Professor Pelham and Roy Odinia, his henchmen that he kind of relies on to carry out various nefarious tasks. The spider is a, I mean, he's an out and out villain. He's, you know, he's not altruistic endeavors that he uh, ends up going on aren't, <laughs> they're not kind of they're born you know he, he does them because he wants some he, he wants himself to be retain his place as 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 the kind of the king of the underworld as it was oh, so how yeah. did you yeah how did how did you how did you uh what, what do you think about that well i i think that he was uh always in the first story always eager to maintain his status i mean he couldn't imagine being usurped by a newcomer. Um, and it almost was more important to, you know, to be well known and to know for everybody to know that he triumphed as opposed to actually succeeding at what he was trying to do. In some ways, he was very childish in the first story and he was more adult and mature in the second story yeah. where he... He kind of held back a couple times where you could have crowed. But in that whole first story, man, it was me, 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 me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, was, it was almost, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's this kind of like modern phenomenon in um, a lot of like modern TV where you've got this anti-hero protagonist that does, they end up, I'm thinking of like things like Tony Soprano, Breaking Bad, these sorts of things where you've got a, a really reprehensible character where you're you're trying to garner sympathy for them in some way. And I found it really curious that the this book seems to kind of revel in like the the spider's egotistical nature and his wickedness. And um, I found it quite funny because of that. Yeah, so it's just really refreshing just to have a character kind of being like almost over the top campy, an over the top campy villain kind of like doing heroic things, but doing them out of a um, self-centered reason. Oh, I agree. I mean, he was definitely campy and 
and and the various plot devices they had throughout the stories enhanced how campy it was. I mean, atomic bombs. Give me a break. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Atomic you bombs. know, in the yeah, one we, story they had the bad guys picture on the wall. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's just I, I really kind of also loved throughout both the first two stories. How many really wild and imagine like there's story ideas in here that could you could fill out that just form small parts of the comic that you could fill like, you know entire graphic graphic novels with. I'm I'm just thinking about these bad professor of power at one point kind of manages to get these intimate interdimensional aliens to help him take over the world. That could be a graphic novel in and of itself. And this is it's a, I wouldn't say it's a throwaway idea, but so yeah, let's just throw this in there um, <laughs> as well. well uh, yeah. And then to insert the plot device of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Uh, with the, with it, it was such a mishmash of things because I mean, the guy being able to will himself from one appearance to another, you know, but his fingernails didn't change was like, wow. I mean, it's like Jerry Siegel borrowed from a variety of stories and remixed it into this story. I, I completely agree with that. And I really also really enjoyed a lot of the character designs in both the first and second story. Kind of the, oh, yes. this, the spiders got very much, I want, I want to say like a Vulcan or Elvish appearance. He's got kind of this slick black widow peaked yep. hair with like kind of like a really pointed nose. And he's got these gadgets that come down into his belt as well. It's kind of, it, it's a very, a lot of the, the machinery design as well as I found really um, interesting as well. Well, I did too. In fact, the first thing that struck me about the spider's outfit is that it was, it was Darth Vader before Darth Vader existed. Yes. Yeah. Without yeah, the helmet. Yeah. Yes. It was like, it was like these things, he had extra devices on there that weren't just for propulsion. It looked like it was helping him maintain other things. And you could do whole stories on that too. But uh, it's interesting when the, the Jekyll and Hyde character switched from one to another, his ears became pointy. Is this like all pointy ears are evil? Maybe, maybe in this universe, that is kind of indicative of like uh, an evil characteristic. I, I, I'm not too sure. But the, the second villain, uh, well, the second villain was wearing a hat throughout the story, so we can't tell whether or not he had um, pointy ears <laughs> or not but, but in the first story when he became the the hide character yes. you know he he became pointy ears yeah and, and um i did some homework on the artists uh and i was disappointed that i couldn't find anything on the the first story's artist uh you know no bio of any kind uh because i he, i wanted to know what his influences are and and i looked at him and i thought god this looks like a cross between paul reinman and Ogden Whitney and you know you wondered uh and yet I by his name I assumed he was Italian yes so. yeah I, I think it's I mean I mean that's another reason why you know just referring back to kind of your your restoration project why it is so important that we do because like this is really really high quality stuff and the fact that you you know you, you did a, a bit of research and you weren't able to find out more information about his influences and stuff like that. I think it's a, it's a real, it's a real shame. <laughs> it is a shame. Yeah. yeah it's because a real this, shame. Art, this artist could have drawn anything. Yes. Yeah. Both are, you know, first and second story. The first one was more commercial. Yeah. I would the say I agree with that. And but the second one, you know, at first you might think it looks scratchy, but then you, it reminded me of Alex Toth as far as, there was a method to his madness with blacks and whites and how he had a lot of heavy blacks in there. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that a little bit. I think the first, I think the the artwork is, how do I describe I would say it's a little 
clearer and cleaner. Yes. Yeah, the the, the, the line more, work is yeah more commercial in the first story. Yeah, the, the line work is I would say a little bit thinner. Would you would you, would you agree with that? Yes, I would. Almost like Al Williamson, who yeah. used to ink various uh you know John Romita and other people. He a very thin line, not heavy blacks. But it's interesting how few backgrounds there are, except you know these big black blotches that act as like almost a oh, contrast to the word balloons. That is something I had not actually picked up on. The backgrounds in in the second story certainly are far more detailed. I would say in the second story, I'd like to get your opinion. On this, I think I think they overproduced a, a couple of the pages in in terms of like the the restoration, if that makes sense. Well, um, I got yes. the impression. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, it it looked like they had an uneven amount of or uneven uh, access to source material, and they had to do some extra work in order to you know have a complete story. And then some things, uh, as you know, the if you're familiar with the pin printing process. Uh, in the second story, it appears that a lot of the dialogue or the, a lot of the lettering fills in because possibly their source material, you know, was over uh, printed anyhow, and nobody yeah. went in there and, you know, opened up all the lines. But if you look at the second story, there's a lot of words where the P's and the D's are filled in. There's yeah. no open space. Yeah. And there was a I made a note of a particular page to find it. I'm, yeah, I'm kind of like looking at page one six five. Why did that? Why did that grab my attention? Kind of, yeah. It looks like on on this particular page, like one six five. That well, yeah. It almost looks like it was double printed too. Yeah, it kind of it, like you know how a lot of comics were out of sync. I and I had a note here to ask you if originally these were printed in color. I I don't know the answer to that actually. That's um I yeah. I've got a feeling that these were were probably print, printed in black, black and white. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I, that's certainly something that um I can ask the the the, the publisher about. But yeah, that, that it does feel like on that particular page that there's yeah. there's yeah yeah. But even that particular page, I I thought that the restorer did a great job as yeah. far as you know. You can still read it. You can still understand what's going on. I thought it was a clever plot device that have the the multiple versions of the character. Yeah. Uh, and just think about when this was published. These, a lot of these ideas are very common now, but back in 67, yes. it was not yeah. a common plot device. Yeah. And I got a kick as the story proceeded, like how they kept eliminating all the different versions. It all, and, and, and I realized, and I'm really digressing here, but yeah. I realized that this plot almost was ripped off by Stargate SG-1, where they had a many duplicates of this one evil uh, gold. Um, yeah. And it was like, wow, I mean, here again, it, the, this is why I think this stuff has to be preserved, because so many things we take for granted and think we know when they became popular, uh-uh, there's nothing new or original. I mean... They were doing some of these things 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. And and uh, I'm always amazed when I see it. Like, wow. Yeah. And, and yeah, this, I mean, is the, this is the whole joy I got from, from reviewing this with you is that just to see the different ways, one, the way they did the art, but also the two approaches the writers took to their stories. Uh, you know, if you look at the Jerry Siegel story, a lot of he didn't do a lot of uh, what I call uh, captions. He put it right into the word balloon dialogue. Whereas the second story, there's a lot of captions, so you don't hear the the character going, "Oh, there's my spaceship. It's about to yeah. land." Yeah, you know, it says that in the caption. The helicopter, 
the helicar touched down near the huge metal sphere. I think yeah, the, the two different approaches in rise, I think, is also kind of reflected in the in the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the antagonist that the spider faces in uh, each yes. story. Yeah, I think yeah. like for me, the Mister Mass, who's the antagonist in the second story, is a really it's a really fascinating character in a lot of ways. This guy that you know is looking at um, crime as a profit-making operation, and he's looking for the most efficient, effective way to pr- produce this this profit. Whereas the, the, the Professor of Power, who's the antagonist in the first story, it was very much more about his ego and him wanting to be, you know, wanting to be shown, showing the world that he's the best, you know, the best, most powerful person in the world with a, where Mr. Mass, I don't think he cares as much about that for him. It's more about right, how much money can I make? Um, yes. How can I mass produce? How can I um, systematize this? And I found that as a, as a, as a character, I think that's something that's, you see it in TV shows like um, Fargo and uh, stuff like that, where you've got this, uh, you know, where crime has been corporatized. And I felt that it's, it's characters yes. like this that kind of like go in that direction. Yes. And it almost, because the, the, the villain or the antagonist was more what I call a mob mentality approach to business and making money. And you introduce this superhero element or super villain element. These almost clashed with each other. It's like two genres fighting with each other during this story being told. I, I, I saw I saw the the main character in the second story more like the shadow as opposed to a supervillain. You know, more. Yeah, I'd, like, I'd agree with that. He's it's a little bit more character development there, and I think he's he also in the in the second story he also um, at least seemed a little bit more resourceful. I think the in the first story a lot of it came down to almost deus ex machina last minute reprieves yes 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 Yes. whereas here uh and and he seemed vulnerable too i mean and i loved if you saw on page 185 they rip they didn't rip off it's like a scene right out of mission impossible where the guy takes off his face and you realize it was a false (laughs) there again there's a plot device we've seen so many times yeah, and, and here it is back in 1967. I mean, come yeah, on. it's just like it's yeah, it's just remarkable. Um, yes, and I mean, I'm I'm not ashamed to say I, I kind of write comics in my my spare time, and there's certainly a few ideas in here that I'm I'm borrow, steal, rip off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, yeah, yes, and I love and I love the pacing in the second story too. Yeah, especially yeah. And, and these little tricks like on page 190 where he's sitting in the office waiting for the people to come in. You know, and yeah. he's lecturing the uh, the yeah. That's a great panel. That top panel at the top is just yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's a I, I like I said, I thoroughly enjoyed both, and I I studied them off and on since you sent it to me a couple of weeks ago, and it, it's just to open a, a whole new uh, appreciation of what's being done. And you know, in your country, uh, 2000 AD is doing some great restoration yeah. work and republishing work. Uh, I mean, they I haven't seen anything that's been a dud yet, uh, and I love how it it opens up uh, us to new things. I mean, there is a host of artists that I think I, I was disappointed there was no artist bios in this book. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why they they didn't include that. Maybe the information wasn't um, well, available, but yeah, I, I did find information on the uh, second artist, you know, and uh, and the different work he did in addition to this. And this guy had a long and extensive career. Yeah, so yeah. that's yeah, definitely a shame it wasn't wasn't included. I do want to kind of you kind of we, we briefly mentioned it before is like the rather 
uh, that for me reading this is kind of the odd panel layout so almost all the pages are uh, either two or three panels and yeah, i just found that i don't know if that was something that as an artistic i don't know well, if that's something that was popular at the time or if they hadn't did, well you know, According to the information I found, the reason they had to do it is that their source material originally was from publications that were printed much smaller, almost like digest books. Okay. So they couldn't rearrange things. The best they could do is enlarge it and clean it up and whatever. I mean, I, I, if, and I experimented with a couple of these, if I sit there and tried to make it four or five panels on the page, then I couldn't read the text. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's unfortunately it is what it is. But uh, on the other hand, after a while, it didn't bother me yeah. or offend my sensibilities as far as the story. In fact, it, it 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 made it seem like the writer was not overwriting because he had a lot more room for his dialogue balloons. And so yes. I didn't I didn't feel like the art was being crowded out at all. Yeah, um, it's odd that you say that. Because I think maybe maybe more in the in the first story, I do feel like the text was doing like a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of describing exactly right. the action that was happening in the scene, especially kind of with some of the um, you know the spiders kind of like longer kind of like speech uh, bigger speech bubbles. But yeah, I think this kind of putting this sort of like restriction on yourself as a like creative storyteller, I think it's really it's really fascinating to see how much you can actually get done. You don't need six panels on the page or four panels. You can get a lot done just having two or three panels on a page. And yeah, it's uh, it's an effective way of getting across action and tension well, and comedy yeah. and stuff like that. You look at page 193, the bottom panel, you have to look at it from left to right, but this is one panel, but it's like several things are going on simultaneously from yeah. people falling over and laughing and whatever. They, in American comics, they probably would have made that two or three panels. And yeah. and so it was, you know, actually it really worked for what they were doing. So we've been chatting about the book for about about 30 minutes. So I just maybe want to kind of wrap up the discussion on this because I do want to kind of get to your project as well. So I, I really quite enjoyed this. I felt it was, I think they did a really remarkable mm-hmm. job with the restoration. Yes. I'd be keen to read about more adventures of, of the spider, like he, him as a, a anti-hero, I think is kind of quite a, as oddly compelling character because he doesn't actually grow that much, but just seeing him, you know, through the force of his own ego, trying to maintain his own place in the world yes. is, is quite exciting and it'd be yeah. interesting to see if we have two different writers here it'd be interesting to see if how he's handled with any other different writers and whether he yes. progresses but also in the second story i thought of it sort of a semi-satire as opposed to the first story oh yeah i think that, that for me I, I don't know if this was something that was intended but i, I did see the second story almost did that like, criticism like capitalism and stuff like that um but i don't know if that was just like me my left-leaning um <laughs> Meaning things kind of like uh, attaching things to there that wasn't necessarily the kind of like artists um and we and we really have to give the artists some chops because i I love the panel at the bottom of page 205 yeah look look at that that uh yeah i mean it's yeah you know when you look at it you realize that he's using less not more lines and stuff 
you know, I wonder where he got the idea to do the smudges and stuff to make it. Yeah. I mean, it's just very, I mean, it's almost like that panel almost, I mean, it looks like something out of like, almost like something out of like Sin City by Frank yes. Miller. It's kind of like very much sort so. Of, um, yes. Very good. Like, yeah. Yeah. For me, this is that I recommend. I'll put details of where you can find this in the episode description. Um, David, any closing thoughts? I, I think it's well worth people's times to read these two stories. Whoever picked these two stories knew what they were doing because it gives you a nice contrast, two different approaches, two different artists different writers. And I think it's well worth their time. And I'm glad to see that this has uh, uh, been brought back again from the 60s. I bet that there's a, yeah. a, a thousands of pages worth of good stuff that's waiting to be shared with the world. One question I did want to kind of, like, so obviously we're reviewing a, a digital version and I, I always forget to do this. Thank you to NetGalley for providing me, me with a, an advanced review copy to discuss. Um, one of the things I heard you kind of um, mention when you were working on your own projects is kind of like the paper quality and uh, things of that nature. It'd be re- I'd be really curious to see what kind of like paper stock they used to, to kind of print yes. this on and see if the, how, that, how, that has, how, that, how that has effect on, on the restoration yes. as well. Um, and I have been, on my own projects, I find that I'm more happy with a, a less quality paper, uh, uncoated paper, because it doesn't take away from the comic itself. It seems more closer to the original. And, you know, some of the publishers have really figured this out and they produce on perfect paper for their product. And other people don't. They have glossy stock and it's just overwhelming. And I would hope that this isn't overwhelming. I hope this is printed on almost cheap paper because that kind of is the feel of the times. So let's talk about your project. So I'm, I'm going to try and avoid asking. I've listened to a couple of your previous interviews. So I apologize if I'm asking uh, uh, any questions that have been put to you before. You're restoring Mark Knott's. It's the, the Mark Knott's like comics is not something that I'm familiar with. I've never kind of had the opportunity to to read them. Tell us a bit about kind of like the Micronauts universe and what attracted you to um, spend, dead well, dedicate three years of your life to restoring restoring that particular comic. I'd be glad to. Here, here's the thing. Micronauts were based, the comic book itself was a licensed property based on a toy line by Hasbro. And the comics turned out to be uh, more successful than the toy line themselves. Um, and Marvel Comics uh, at the time in the late 70s uh, into the mid 80s was uh, producing licensed comics such as ROM Space Knight, The Micronauts, Conan and the Barbarian, a variety of things. And some were successful and some weren't. But the, the reason I think that The Micronauts is still beloved to this day is that it, it hasn't been reprinted because of the fact that uh, Marvel, do, Marvel or any other publisher doesn't have uh, permission to uh, publish reprints of it because they're not paying fees anymore for the use of the characters. I know IDW has done some uh, recent work and, and they did it on all new material. Um, I don't have any background information on why they did that as opposed to reprinting old stuff, but I suspect it's something legal oriented. So the one of, one of the reasons of picking it is that is that a lot of us, a certain age, have a nostalgia for, for reading this in the early to mid-80s uh, and picking it up uh, every month from the newsstand and, and following the adventures. And uh, this is like a typical comic book series at Marvel where the creative teams would change uh, periodically. So, I mean, the series started off with a bang with uh, 
uh, writer Bill Mantlo and then artist Michael Golden. And Michael Golden is still very popular to this day. Fabulous artwork. But uh, the, the interesting trivia to me is no matter who was drawing uh, various issues of the Micronauts, 59 in volume one, 20 issues in volume two, uh, many of the people working on these, this was their first job in comics. And it's it's amazing how well they did and how fascinating their art was. And, and the unifying factor was is the same writer wrote the first 58 issues of the series. And so he kind of was like the glue of the whole project. But I think a, a lot of people sometimes see this as a, a poor man's Star Wars or Star Trek. Uh, they see it just as a, a gimmick thing. But the, the way Marvel handled it, the art team and the writer, they uh, they brought breadth and depth to the various uh, characters. And I mean, they go through some uh, amazingly cruel things being done to them and then the sense of loss would make many people give up and yet they uh, keep going and, and even in the second volume the new voyages um, the same thing uh, young people just starting out in their profession uh, all the issues were written by one writer Peter Gillis but then you had uh, Kelly Jones who's very famous for his Batman work now Kelly Jones was just starting out and he did a bang-up job and and as I work to restore these pages, the, the pages that are, are wonderful and frustrating at the same time are the ones that he has a lot of alien technology in there. So there's no straight lines. <laughs> there's no symmetry to anything or whatever. This is definitely, you wonder where he was that day when he was drawing that because it doesn't look like anything else I'd ever seen. I... I have I have an agenda as far as why I'm doing this. Uh, I have the luxury of being retired. I have the yeah. luxury of, you know, nostalgia with this thing. So I can work on this and not worry about deadlines or people looking over my shoulder. Um, I do. I had started showing things on on my Twitter feed and getting input and doing some sharing some experiments with people on paper and stuff. But you know, my main agenda is this. I hope. That when I'm at the end of this, I have it all done and I have the how-to book, from my opinion, done on restoring old comics as well as the videos. I hope then people take that knowledge and go uh, restore their favorite thing that hasn't been done. Because there's so many titles out there that uh, haven't been you know, restored and reprinted. They're very obscure things, but to me, they're not obscure. Like the, uh, yeah. the uh, one project I did back in 2018 that's finally seeing publication now is Aztec Ace. Aztec Ace was only 15 issues published by Eclipse Publishing, which is out of business. Uh, but now it's being brought back, the complete collection plus extras. And it's it's now going to be preserved because it was uh, one of the more fascinating approaches to time travel uh, than anything else I had read then and even now, even now. One of the questions I wanted to talk to you was basically if you had access to the the writers and the artists that that worked on micronauts and you were able to kind of ask them questions is that um is that an opportunity you would take up and secondly what type of questions would you kind of want to to put to them um i'm thinking because it's a restoration well, project that uh you're, it's like you're reading my mind yes i would love to do that and i would hope that i would eventually be able to talk to kelly jones um but i suspect sometimes that when it's somebody's first work they're not really interested in talking about that they want to put that behind them but for us i would like to talk to the anchor called danny bulaney i mean he was a unifying force through all these issues he inked many many of the issues and he kept everything looking 
being consistent. You know, I of course I'd love to talk to the writer on on how uh, he approached things, but unfortunately he's disabled at the moment. Uh, but the main person I'd like to talk to is the colorists that worked on this. And there was several of them, but the, the main guy was Bob Sharon. And his use of a limited palette was was mind-blowing. I mean, when you sit there and take the time to, to study every panel as opposed to read the page, read the page, read the page, and keep moving on like it's a little mini-movie. But if you sit there and look at it, you, you think, how inventive was this? Now, was he just winging it, or did he have a plan, or whatever? Those are the kind of questions I would like to ask. Uh, especially the colorists, but but also uh, I'd like to ask the people that printed this, what the hell were they thinking? Because sometimes it looked like they would print a color, a partial color over the uh, black line, the text or the border lines or whatever, and it would cause the black to be washed out. And I'm like, what the heck is that? Yeah. But you know, I, I get yeah. down in the minutia, but then that's the luxury I have of spending several years working on this and making it so that it's true to where it came from, but also you get to appreciate the art because it's when you strip away a lot of the color, I think you'd be really surprised how fantastic some of the art is under the bad printing and the bad paper and whatever. You'd be amazed at the art. I mean, there should be portfolios for Michael Golden's section and Butch Juice's section and Kelly Jones section because they had so many full page panels that would be fantastic for posters. And I'm I mean, I'm going on and on here, but um, yeah. I, I'm sorry if I'm rambling. But. No, no. I mean, it's uh, it's absolutely fascinating to hear someone talk about something that you're, you're clearly quite uh, passionate about. And um, yeah, I, I love because I mean, this is it's not a a proper. I hate the word using proper. It's not a story, but I'm. Uh, at all familiar with i'm not familiar with the creative teams that much so it's it's, it's really fascinating to, to to hear you kind of talk about that so the next question i wanted to kind of um kind of put to you so i did a little bit of research around kind of the ethics of like art conservation and one of the things i read online was that one of the, the ethical guidelines that um a lot of restoration or c conservationist follows that there should be kind of minimal minimal intervention you need to be using kind of the appropriate materials and you kind of uh, also should document all the work that you've undertaken are those kind of standards that you very much follow yourself uh, yes is, is and, it, and yeah. yes but uh, initially it wasn't uh, and then yeah. i came across uh, a man called alan harvey who lives in the uk and his motto is restoration not recreation and once i saw how he was approaching restoration i i totally started over the project and went that way as opposed to the way I had been doing what what I was calling restoration but what I had really been doing in the past was retouching and I, and I can give yeah. you an example recently I was asked uh, to help out on you know retouching some scans of old teenage mutant ninja turtle covers and they didn't have the original files and their scans weren't that good and so literally I recreated or retouched over the original to make it uh, suitable for publication since they didn't have it but it but it wasn't um, it wasn't uh, leaving the original to be seen I mean you could if you compared you compared the original to what I did you can see minor modifications and things as opposed to what I'm doing on the micronauts where uh, I'm not changing the color palette I'm not changing uh, how the instead of tracing over the black line, I take the black line that's there and using manipulation of channels and things, 
I, re I uh, strengthen the black line so that it pops out more as opposed to being buried under color at times. So yeah. I, I think that, yes, the ethics of, I, I, and it looks like with your spider example that we inter we reviewed, it, it looks yeah. like they stayed true to whatever uh, the original yeah. source material was. And so maybe that's why a couple of those pages that you pointed out, uh, they decided that's the best they had and they left it as opposed yeah. to redoing it. A, a similar kind of thing to what they were doing with, with, with the spider. They were trying to bring out kind of like the original mm -hmm. art make the original part pop without kind of like clearing it up to kind of like modern sensibilities right. too much if that it makes does. sense and i and i agree. yeah yeah i agree um, and like i say i owe it i owe my current approach on the micronauts to alan harvey you should check out some of the things he does he did he did a brilliant book called atlas at war and yes brilliant i have from dead reckoning yes, yeah on my desk yes yeah I have two or three books on my desk and i at times when the computer is thinking or moving files I'll flip through that again because it's a daily inspiration. One of the uh, other questions I wanted to ask you about was uh, you've talked to, uh, a lot about uh, listening to previous interviews. You talked a lot about kind of preserving uh, the color balance and making sure that the colors that you use are true to the original as, as far as possible. Do you do like a lot of research in terms of like the inks that were available at the time or are you just kind of very much using like computer analysis to make sure I say computer and actually kind of using like um Photoshop's like color picking uh, color picking tool to kind of uh, match the tone of the original. Well, I've, um, what I've done is built a palette and, yeah. and yeah. Uh, uh, so I can be consistent. But somebody asked me, well, are you consistent from issue to issue? And I say, no. There's a different palette for each issue because oh, mate. there wasn't <laughs> mate. there wasn't a consistency from issue to issue, and okay. so I, I think if you're going to be 100 percent true, you have to have a palette for this particular issue where they're the thing that looks like purple is one way, and you know light blues look another way, and the yellows yellows are horrendous because they seem to drift orange at times if you're not careful. Uh, yeah. So. I have palettes, but I have a palette for each issue. And even then, um, sometimes I'll look at it to me and on the screen, it looks too bright. So I'll tag that page and put that into the next print test to see if what I'm seeing on the screen is the same thing that will print. And what I'm finding is, is that there's some shift, uh, more subdued colors in the print test than what's on my screen. I mean, that kind of leaded to what, what my next question was uh, going to be is, is your approach now uh, per page, but or per issue and it does sound very much it's like per issue to make sure that the art the the, the color and the inking and the lettering and all, all that sort of stuff is like consistent yes. within within the issues that kind of yes correct, because yeah? the, the lettering varies from issue to issue too uh because it, it, there wasn't the same letter every single issue and then you could tell that they were making up some of their own fonts where they would do large drop taps and stuff and, okay. and you yeah know, you have to there's no way you can cut and paste and use it again someplace else. You literally have to restore what's on the page. I mean, I I, I have to say I do kind of admire the skill and patience that you're um you're kind of uh, showing okay. in. in Let's doing be this honest. Let's yeah, be um, honest. I'm out of my yeah. mind. Some <laughs> yeah. days, some yeah, days I mean, I've had enough, and I will take a day off, and then I'll come back and go, yeah. "Oh, this is lovely. Let's do this." Yeah, yeah. I think just want to quickly uh, talk about the book that you're doing. So I think uh, listening to one of your previous podcasts that you're on, it's plan was to make it a 64 page comic book. 
coming from i think Kablam yeah that, that's what, what one, down here. Has that yeah that's seen? that's one way of doing it i've kind of drifted to another idea now though i've been experimenting yeah. with what i call magazine for many years yeah. i was known for hardcovers but now i'm experimenting with magazines so i'm in the process i've got a print test out there that's basically a preview of what you know a large magazine could be but i i could see this as a large magazine that an eight and a half by 11 that somebody can fold open and it stays open on their desk as they flip the, you know, from page to page, um, they can use it as a reference. But uh, I'm doing a test of that right now. And I, I see the, the final product at this time being the how-to product being more like a, a magazine. And with a magazine, you okay. can mix up and there, and I this isn't an original idea. I've been I sit there and look at what uh, Tomorrow's Publishing does with their various publications, and you, can, you with a magazine you can get away with what I call a lot of mixed media things. You can have color sections, you can have black and white sections, you can yeah. have two page spreads, you can have little tiny panels. So uh, that's where I'm at at the moment. Cool. Oh, that's that, that sounds uh, great. And I'm assuming you're writing it, but um, are you going to be bringing any other artists in to kind of maybe do do artwork for that oh well um so far the artwork is everything that's original to the the series being restored um you know the dream would be as if somebody of a kelly jones quality would come back and do a brand new cover for something i I would gladly pay for that out of my retirement funds When the you mentioned previously, um, one of the reasons why you're doing this is to kind of document your process and to to share the the knowledge that you've gained from working on this project, so that other people can work on, on their projects. Uh, on their on, on their projects. Have you ever thought about maybe doing something like an online course or mentoring, or is this you know this um, is the comic you know the, the book or the comic book or the, the magazine should i say is that the way that you you want to go kind of have you had you had any kind of like thoughts about well, that well actually um, about- i just haven't talked about it much but i get uh, uh direct messages on twitter saying you know could we do a zoom call could we do a skype call and could you yeah. show me a couple things and i'll sit there and, and spend an hour with somebody to help jumpstart them you know or give them some tips on you know how to use photoshop to to accomplish what they they want to do and so i'm already sharing the knowledge there um that way i have no problem doing one-on-ones with people yeah or doing a course um you know you talked about ethics you know this is what i call my tilting at windmill projects i'm not looking for a payday i just think this is something that should exist now will we shame a publisher a legitimate publisher who has permission into doing this. Hey, I just happen yeah. to have all the files ready to go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? Yeah. You know? And it's not like Disney's um, Disney Marvel uh, are hurting. Well, but, but just sure think they, yeah. about it. The, 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 yeah. I don't know how, how you guys perceive it there, but in America, the way we think of Disney is they know how to manage their vault and they know how to let stuff sit for a few years and then bring it back out, dust it off and sell yeah. it again. And I can't imagine that Disney wouldn't want to make some money off something that, you know, they don't have to start from scratch on. It's all ready to go. One of the other questions I wanted to ask you about, have you been, um, so you you mentioned you've been approached by people on Twitter and stuff like that. Has anyone from like academia or museums approached you at all about maybe like doing something like an exhibition or uh, I'm specifically thinking about with, with, with um, uh, academia, they're you know, it's, at least in the UK, there's um, quite a few universities that do have comics research departments now, 
which is like a really wild thing like to, to me. So I was just wondering if you know, has anyone from academia or any museums maybe approached you about kind of like restoring old things and or maybe going well, in there to talk? That is interesting. And to me, you're reading my mind again. I've had unexpectedly in my mind, I thought that I was just in my little corner working on this project and the same 15 or 20 people who are interested on it comment on it. But I am surprised. I'm two and a half years into retirement and I'm surprised how many people say to me um, three things. We like what you're doing on your thing. Can you help us out on ours? Can you take a little break and help us? And and or are you willing to come to our school and give us, you know, a little space? Or, you know, are you going to be at any conventions so we can, you know, maybe have you do a panel? And so I'm getting a lot of unexpected communication just from the fact that all I wanted to do is restore this series. And I'm surprised at the, the people who are interested. And so the long-winded way of saying is yes, and I continue to get more, but I'm not, and if it's a cool project, like the reason I helped out on the Turtles project is my my two sons and my two grandsons are Turtles fans. And so that yeah. made, that made Grandpa very cool with the family. <laughs> so they're <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. what are you working on? I said, oh, I'm cleaning up these turtle panels. And they're like, oh, my God. Oh, cool. <laughs> and and, yeah. uh, and cool. then I did another um, under-the-table project that hasn't been announced yet uh, for another creator that I was a longtime fan of. And so, you know, if it's interesting enough, I guess I'll do it. I'll interrupt my own stuff. But yeah. if it's not... It's like there's so many guys out there, and I'd be glad to tutor anybody so they they can go do the job. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. And I think you're you're you're, you're, you're building something here, and um, people will come and try to learn learn from you. And I think it's I think it's it's genuinely really like, fantastic that you'll, you you've got this project to work on, and it's connected you with with other people and. I think that's I think that's really I lovely. Think is, I think it's really, I think really it nice. is too, yeah. and very unexpected because. You know, I've had a long career. Um, I had a long career and, and part of it was in comics. And, you know, I thought everybody knew who I was. And I seem to have more people say, I just discovered you. And I'm like, where the hell have you been? I've been around forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, well, right. <laughs> We're, I think the comic book world, it's it's a big place, but it's also like a yes. little place at the same time. And I'm, I've just got a a couple more questions for you. Um, I think you've kind of already answered this, but um, what would success look like you, for you for this this project? Um, that I completed all uh, 2,000 pages and um, I have at least one complete printout of it um, to share with the appropriate people to you know, take it to the next step. But, but also that I think the more example of success would be is that people would start telling me that they were using the information I gave them to do their own projects. And I plan yeah. to sell um, the, 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 whatever the end product is, I, I plan to sell it at cost. Cause like I say, yeah. this, this isn't uh, a, a payday thing. This is a, how do we preserve our future? How do we preserve our comic heritage is how I look at it. And yeah. Yeah. if you explain that to people that don't read comics, they don't get it. But people who do read comics, there is something in their childhood that, uh, that should be, preserved for many and I, think, I 
I don't think it's just um, our, our childhood. You know, I've, I've been to exhibitions in like the, the the British Library and been to online talks. Comics play such an important cultural part in in, in so many countries around the world. I mean, I didn't realize there was a, a rich um, comic book tradition in in like South, you know, parts of South America, in in Africa, different parts of Asia, and it's important that we do work to preserve yes. this stuff. Very much so. The last a couple of questions I'm going to put to you. Is there anything that um, I didn't ask or that we haven't talked about that you'd like to talk about and um, for me to ask you? Um, I'd just like to give a shout out to uh, a long-term colleague, Tim Benson at Omaha Bound. Uh, you should check his website, omahabound.com. He does what a lot of uh, curated projects where he works directly with the creators to come up with uh, projects where there's only 10 to 20 copies ever made. And these are very high-end projects, but uh, are very much uh, desirable to see the end uh, the end result that's that that sounds great um if, if you can send me his details i can put that in the um in the episode I description will. as well david can you please tell people where they can find you on the internet well basically the only place i am on the internet at the moment is on twitter and my yeah. uh twitter handle is at dp banks 67 and that's it and up will pop a micronauts uh, thread a long micronauts thread as i post examples that's great uh so david thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today uh guys if you give david follow on on twitter that would be really fantastic we're sort of back e- in recording now so we, we're going to be trying to con- continue doing this this podcast thing um, if you can please uh, continue to support the podcast by leaving a rating or review wherever you found us. And if you can leave a tip in the chip jar, which is, there's a link in the episode des- description, that's also would be helpful. And yeah, get in touch with us on uh, by email on seethroughpanelpodcast at gmail.com, I believe is the <laughs> email address. If you've got any uh, recommendations of comic books that you'd like to check out or if you want to be on the podcast as well um thanks david um say bye bye. take care bye